Well, last week, uh, Pastor Ben shared with us the need to pray as we move into God's mission for us as, as a church and, and, and just even individually, we need to be spending time in prayer, spending time in lament, spending time in confession, and then asking God to show us the next steps in our lives, in our ministry, and how we're to invest what he has blessed us with. Today we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 2 as, as, uh, as we get into this story and as Nehemiah finishes this season of prayer, we'll find that he has not been idle. Prayer is not a time of just uh, praying to God, hoping that he's going to change something. Prayer is also a time where we uh, commit ourselves to participating in whatever solution, plan, or vision that God reveals to us. Nehemiah spends four months in prayer. Let's uh, look at Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, so this is four months after chapter 1, verse 1. This is four months later. Four months of prayer, four months of seeking God. When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick. This is nothing but a sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and it's probably, a, there's again, a, a two-year time gap right here because Nehemiah had to travel from, uh, from Susa, which is in kind of southern Iran, Iraq, re really close to Kuwait, up and around and down, and down to Jerusalem. And so, so here, here he is. Uh, between chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, and then in verse 9, we've got about a good two-month journey that has happened. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant uh, uh, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went up to Jerusalem and was there three days, and then I arose at night and I had a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. 
I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal uh, that uh, was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, or the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant of Geshem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Three things I want us to look in, in, at here today, and, and we're not going to get into a lot of details in some of this stuff. Uh, there, there's a lot of details we could go into, but we're just going to hit three key things here. Is that when, when, when God gives us a vision, when he gives us a passion, when he speaks to our hearts about something to do, we need to also enter a season of planning. We need to be patient. And we need to be ready to participate. Planning, patience, and participation are all part of what happened in this chapter. First thing, vision based in prayer always requires planning. Nehemiah spends four months in prayer, but this is not just hoping that God's going to work something out, that, that, that God's going to do something. You know, he doesn't just sit in his prayer closet and go, okay, God, can you please uh, uh, raise up people to restore Jerusalem? because, uh, you know, it's so far away and I can't do it, so uh, maybe somebody else can do this. He spends four months in prayer and he plans as if God will answer that prayer with him as the means to see this happen. Nehemiah planned expecting God to answer and to be involved in the answer to his prayer. So when we pray, as Jesus teaches us to pray in the... In the uh, in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't be surprised that he expects you to be involved in the answer to that prayer. If, if God burdens your heart for, for a certain people group or for a certain issue within our city or, or a certain ministry that, that, that you feel really needs to happen, don't be surprised that you're part of the answer to that prayer. Nehemiah prayed for four months. And in that four months, he planned because he expected to be involved in God's answer to prayer. That's the, 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 the first thing. And in this, in this planning stage, one of the first things Nehemiah does is he, he anticipates the question. He anticipates questions. And, and so as we go through, as, as we plan, as we go, what, what does God want for, for us right now in this time? 
we have to anticipate the questions. So, so Nehemiah is planning and, and, and he's before the king and the king says, hey, what's up? And he's, he doesn't, he's not wishy-washy about it, right? He's like, here's the real situation. Jerusalem's in ruins and it breaks my heart. And then the king says, well, what do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah doesn't just say, huh, I, I don't know. He says, if it pleases the king, send me. How long will you be gone? I gave him a time. He knew exactly how long this was going to take. Well, didn't know exactly how long, but he, he gave him a time frame. So let me go for this amount of time. And then what happens next? Nehemiah doesn't just say, hey, just, just let me go and I'll do this. He says, here's what I need. Here are the resources I need. Here's the letters I need. Here are the guys that are going to stand in the way. Because if you go back in the book of Ezra, I think it's about chapter 4, you'll find um, you know, that, that these uh, governors of the province beyond the river have always been a burr in the saddle of anybody trying to rebuild Jerusalem or its temple. And so I think Nehemiah knows this. He knows that, that there has been tensions around the rebuilding of Jerusalem for a long time. And so he says, hey, you got to send me, send letters from you personally so that we can get this done. And, and, and send me letters for, for the wood because I, I need, the, these are the resources I need. The, all of this planning, the, the, the vision to rebuild the walls, the, the, the broken heart where Nehemiah is just like, something has to be done. And here's how I think it can be done. Here's how I think it should be done. Here are the resources I need. Here are the letters I need. Here's the wood that I need. All of that he had figured out. Anticipate the question. That's the first thing. Second thing under planning is, is that Nehemiah takes inventory of the situation and he, he does so carefully before he even starts the project. He doesn't, he doesn't ride into Jerusalem right, and say, hey, I am here to build a wall. Come join me without first going and spending time checking out the situation for himself, right? He's, he's heard that the walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire. That, that has broken his heart, chapter one, and that's driven him to prayer, that's driven him to planning. But the next thing that comes out of this is that when he gets on site, he goes and sees it for himself. He goes and sees how broken down the walls are. He goes and sees how burned out the gates are. He goes and he experiences firsthand the brokenness of the city. And that's something we all need to engage in. We, we can't stay apart from the brokenness if we want to bring healing and restoration to people's lives. You have to experience the brokenness firsthand, not just hear about it. And that's what he does next. He plans, he knows what he needs, but he needs to experience the brokenness of the city for himself before he does anything. Planning anticipates questions, and it anticipates the opposition, too. Look, look, look at that. He's right, right in verse 9 and 10, talks about these guys. They're displeased that somebody has come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. 
Somebody's come to do something good, to, to remove shame and guilt and, and restore broken walls, and they don't like that. It upsets the balance of power. And it threatens their hold on keeping these people outside, keeps them subservient, keeps them down. It threatens their power. But Nehemiah has anticipated this, so he's asked for these letters. And he's already got a response. You can see those guys at the end of the, end of the chapter too. Let's rise up and build. Verse 19. But when these guys heard about it, they jeered, they mocked, they despised. What is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Remember, they've got an edict from the king from years and years ago that said, hey, make sure nobody rebuilds a city. Now Nehemiah's got a letter that says, ha, change of plans. It's time to rebuild now. And I replied to them, Nehemiah, first person, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion writer claim in Jerusalem. This is a God project for God's people. Rebuilding the city is about God's people rebuilding what is broken. And I think that applies to us today. Vision bathed in prayer always requires planning. Second vision bathed in prayer always requires patience. Chapter 2, verse 1, four months of prayer. We need to be people of prayer before we get the vision from God for what he wants to do in and through us as his people. If we're not committed to prayer, we don't get a vision from God because we're, prayer tells us we're dependent people on God. Now, Pastor Ben talked about this a lot last week, so I won't, won't hang out here too much. But this four months of prayer, of lament, of confession, of, of asking God to move. Four months he spent on that. Then Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, chapter 2, verse 11. He spent three days. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Why does, why does he wait? <laughs> I mean, if, if, if God has given you like great favor with, with the political rulers, you've got all the resources uh, given to you to, to do a massive ministry thing, wouldn't you just show up in town and go, hey, guys, guess what? We get to rebuild the city. You know, let's have a great procession. He comes in quietly and patiently, and he ponders the situation. He investigates the situation closely and carefully. Nehemiah doesn't announce anything when he arrives. I had not told anyone what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. After four months of prayer, an audience with the king, two months of traveling, you would think after a half year of, of waiting and of praying and of seeing the hand of God move, boy, wouldn't it be exciting just to launch into it and get her done? Nehemiah waits. Vision bathed in prayer always requires patience. Timing is important. Doing the right thing at the right time. A Proverbs talks about this, you know, the, 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 the right word at the wrong time isn't right. Timing is important and it requires patience. And so as we pursue God's vision for us as his people in the boundary region, we need to be spending time in prayer, 
and we need to be evaluating the world around us, the situations that we find, and we need to be people who are patient even when God is birthing a deep desire for ministry in your heart. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard when, when there's just this burning in you to get something done and, and to see something happen. And God's timing has to say, you know, you got to have to slowly ease into this. Because his timing is perfect. So he had to put off going public with this. Planning, patience, third, vision bathed in prayer always requires participation. When God provides vision and direction, he expects us to get involved. Remember last week we looked at the prayer of Nehemiah and, and look at how, you know, Nehemiah didn't, was, wasn't part of the, the, the people of God when they rebelled uh, and when they, they fell under, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the exile. I mean, that, that was in the past. That was, you know, our forefathers have done this. Uh, the, the last generation, that's their, you know, they, they walked in disobedience. They didn't do things quite right. Um, but Nehemiah, in exile, says we. We have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Participation starts in confession and laments. The first person owning the problem first. Confession, repentance, dedication of the self to God's purposes. And, and then look, look down when, when Nehemiah gets there, when he finally tells everybody what God has put on his heart to do, he says, you see the trouble we are in. Not, not the trouble you are in. The trouble we are in. Come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I mean, here's Nehemiah with letters from the king for his own protection. He's got resources coming out the yin-yang because the, the king has, has so blessed him. I mean, we get later on and Nehemiah is going to give you, you know, here's all the people I fed. I made sure people got fed. I made sure people had housing. Um, and, and, and like he, he spells out like the amount of food that he provided for the workers, for the people during his time, his 12 years as the governor of the area. That's the other thing that the, the king gave him governorship of this region for 12 years. And he had all sorts of resources, but here he is saying, this, we're in trouble guys. And we are suffering derision. And I am going to work with you. I'm going to be with you in the midst of your trouble and your, your brokenness and the, the, the struggle that living in this city has been for decades. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to be with you in the midst of it. I, I need to participate in this with you. Nehemiah owns the vision, first of all. Look at, look at that in verse 12. I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. He's, he's put it on Nehemiah's heart. This is on my heart. This is what I want to see happen, Nehemiah says. He owns the vision. Then he owns the problem. 
You see the trouble we are in. We, we saw that in the prayer as well. He, he, the, the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The problem's in his own heart and life as well. And then he owns the solution. Come, let us build. Nehemiah is all in on this. Now, something that occurred to me this morning as I was thinking about this passage is, is that Nehemiah identifies the problem. He identifies the brokenness of the city. But he doesn't blame the people who have lived in that situation for decades. He doesn't come in and say, look at this mess. Look, 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 at, look at, you've been living in a totally busted down city for, for decades and you've done nothing about it. Like, come on, pull up your bootstraps, get to work here because you guys must be a bunch of lazy, defeated. What, what, why haven't you done anything about this? He doesn't do that. He doesn't blame people for the brokenness they're experiencing. He doesn't blame the people for the broken down walls and the burned out gates and, 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 of, and of being inactive. What he does is he identifies the problem and he doesn't blame anybody. When we look at people's lives around us, when we look at the situation of homelessness and addiction and opiate crisis and, and all this stuff, is, is our knee-jerk reaction to just simply own the brokenness or is it to blame people for the brokenness of their lives and tell, why can't you get yourself together? We have to enter the brokenness if we're going to ever bring healing to people's lives. Over the last few years, I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion, and, and several people have confirmed this, that, that there's just as much people really in the Grand Forks and Boundary region that used to go to Gospel Chapel than do today. Are we willing to not blame them or ourselves and just enter the brokenness that relationships have been deeply damaged and there needs to be a restoration of the brokenness and the burned out gates? Not to fix blame, but to understand people's pain and just be there for people. We need an honest evaluation. And, and, and personally, I, I, I know some of these people, so I'm going to be sitting down with some people over the next few weeks and say, I just want to hear your story. I'm, I'm not going to defend what maybe the church or the leadership have done in the past, and I'm, I, and I'm not going to fix blame on anybody. I just want to hear your story. Where's the hurt? Where's the heartache? Nehemiah comes to town, and the first thing he does is he doesn't say anything about moving forward. He just says, I need to see the brokenness for myself. If we're going to bring healing and be a place of restoration, then we need 
to see the brokenness first. Participation in God's vision will lead you to the brokenness of our world first. And if we don't get involved in it, then God doesn't give us his vision. Here's one of the things, if, if you look through every character in the Bible, when God says, here's, here's where I'm working and here's where things are going and here's how the kingdom is going to expand, come along and join me in it. He never tells anybody his vision for ministry without inviting their participation in it. God's vision demands participation. Vision bathed in prayer is always, always requires planning, always requires patience, and always requires participation. But then lastly, vision bathed in prayer ultimately leads us back to God himself. Look at verse 8, second half. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. Nehemiah doesn't own the glory. Nehemiah doesn't own the glory. Nehemiah owns the vision. He owns the problem. He, he moves into the solution, but he doesn't own the glory. He turns people's attention back to God. Vision, bathed in prayer, leads us ultimately to praise and worship, pointing back to God and his hand on the situation. Nehemiah didn't come and say, hey, like, I'm like the cupbearer to the king, so like, I got a real in. And because of that, and I heard about your situation, I want to do something about it for you guys. So I went and I got all of this stuff from the king so that I can help you out. Nehemiah says, no, the only reason this happened is God's hand was upon me. God's hand was upon me. He pointed people back to God. Ultimately, the vision we discern for our lives and for our church must lead us to worship and it must force us to point to and praise the God who provides the vision, the resources, and the fruit. Pursuing vision is about pursuing God, partnering with him, and praising him for the results. You know, pursuing God's vision isn't about building a better gospel chapel. Pursuing God's vision is about seeing this city that I see behind me in worship of God, regardless of what church body they decide to attend. Pursuing God's vision is to see that high school over there filled with kids that love Jesus. I was listening to a podcast this last week by Rick Warren. It's about two hours long. If you got a chance, go to the Kerry Newhoff uh, leadership podcast. Listen to this one by Rick Warren. Because one of the things he told me, say, said in there just kind of really resonated with me. There's a lot of stuff in there. But one of these things he said is that this last year has proven 
that the large majority of evangelical Christians in North America are more passionate about their politics than they are about Jesus. What are we really passionate about? We want to see people following Jesus. But in order to get there, we've got to figure out that there's people that aren't following Jesus and they're in a great deal of pain. And in order to reach into that, we need to enter into it and experience it, to see it, to embrace it, and then to walk with them for as long as it takes through that pain, through the challenges, through loving them to Jesus. And it's a long-term commitment. Ultimately, vision will lead us to worship. It'll all be about what God has done, not what we have done. And we'll see God's hand move. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I know that there's a lot of things on our minds and our hearts and our lives, and, and, and we think for some reason that, that God can't, that, that, that you're limited by these uh, social restrictions, but you're not. Your kingdom is going forward this very moment. And, and, and as I watched in Village Church this morning, they had, they had a baptism of somebody in South Africa this morning because of the fact that the gospel is going out across the world because we've been forced to go online. And yes, we desperately want to get back together in, in, in one-on-one, face-to-face, in-person worship. That's the, the, I'm not discounting that. That's so important. But Lord, you are using this time to shake us out of the comfort zone of just doing the same thing week after week. And Lord, I've been in ministry for 25 years and I lament the fact that there's so little transformation in the churches I've been a part of. There's a lot of coming and going to events. There's a lot of coming and going to gatherings. And there's a lot of people still living with their pains and their hangups and their hurts. Lord, we need to see your spirit move in a powerful way to transform hearts and lives, to draw us to you, Lord Jesus, so that at the end of the day, we will not say, hey, look at what we did, but look at what the good hand of our God has done in our world around us. He's, we've, we've been privileged to partner with God on his kingdom mission. Oh, Lord, fill us with a passion for your mission to see people brought out of their pain and their despair and their discouragement and find life and hope and healing in a place where they can be safely broken, safely messed up in their lives. Lord, help us to be more real with the messes of our lives. Open our eyes to the vision you have for your people at this time in this place so that your kingdom would come, your will would be done here in Grand Forks and throughout the boundary as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.
Benediction from this morning is from Hebrews chapter 13. This is one of my favorite benedictions. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Go with God. Seek his face. Amen.